So hello, great men and women. It's time for another segment of DGMH Tuesdays with a twist, a twist of psych. I'm your host, Zach DiBacco, and today I am once again joined by my very good friend, Dr. Sherry Valencic, as we get ready to discuss how being orphaned at such a young age may have impacted our great number five, Alexander Hamilton. Sherry, I really enjoyed having you on our last episode of Social Drinking, uh, but I have to say, welcome home. Uh, Well, thank you very much. It's certainly good to have you back. So as always, and so I don't forget, I think we should always start with the drinks. So Sherry, what are you drinking tonight? Well, I'm a big Lining Kugels fan, and Summer Shandy is one of my favorite beers ever. Um, and so I am now back living with college students since uh, everybody's life has changed. So I have an entire refrigerator full of White Claw, which is not my thing. Uh, but I did see that uh, Lining Kugels has what's called a spritzing out, and I'm always looking for something with a twist. This is a splash. Uh, so it's a splash of seltzer, and I have the grapefruit variety, uh, 2.2 grams of carbs and 93 calories. Mm-hmm. And I think just with one sip, this is far superior to a White Claw, so. Here's my problem with White Claw is it tastes like seltzer. Woohoo. It doesn't taste like alcohol. Boo. You know, like that's my problem I have with them. They're fine. Does that taste like a beer a little bit? It does, it does taste like a beer with a little lightness to it, a little bubbly to it. Uh, but it's it's good. If, if people are fans of Lining Kugel's Shandies, they have a grapefruit shandy, which I is quite good as well. Shandy. Yeah, this is, this is pretty good. So, uh, nice. That, that's awesome. What are you drinking? I am drinking uh, New Belgium Brewing's Voodoo Ranger uh, American Haze. I drank this for the Hamilton episode, which figured I'd keep rolling with the American Haze. Actually, I did not drink it for that episode. I drank something else. I'm actually drink drinking- Brooklyn Lager. Yes. So Dickens, I screwed up because the American Haze isn't going to be uh, on until the chaser. So I'm drinking Voodoo Ranger's American Haze, which will be rated on the scale of greatness in the Chaser episode this coming Friday. Uh, And if you want to understand why, be sure to tune in. But we'll talk about the shots we're going to do later. But how are you? How have you been? You're doing well. I'm well. We are on uh, summer vacation, even though it's not summer yet. It's it's a good mindset change, and uh, things are starting to open up all over the world, despite uh, some of the chaos that's going on. So I'm I'm hopeful, but I've been hopeful for the past 12 weeks. Mm -hmm. Yes, I feel you there. I'm ready for things to open up. 100%, but uh, I guess we don't want to jump the gun or anything. So, Well, uh, and I do think perhaps that we do need to give a nod that uh, bars in Florida are opening uh, on Friday, and uh, that's very exciting. Actually, I think we need to give a nod, because we're recording this on Thursday, that bars actually opened last Friday. Uh, (laughs) When people listen to this, ah, the math of the recording process. It makes it very confusing for those recording. Yes, and we hope all of our bartenders are enjoying being back to work and are being tipped heartily. Tip, 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 tip. Got a tip. Uh, I was in the service industry for far too long, and I always make sure I tip, especially a good bartender. Do do Uh, people know that about you? You know, considering this is a drinking podcast almost as much as it is a history podcast, I guess I should at some point say that uh, I, I did. I used to uh, bartend from age 18 to 25. You know, um, yeah, I, I was in the service industry. I served, waited tables, and bartended at different bars. I actually ran a restaurant pretty much for a while, and it was a lot of fun. But I guess I do have a little bit of a drinking background and a bartending background to do all these drinks. So maybe that credibility will add to the show <laughs> that I probably should have put in day one. Um, but oh well. 
Who gives a shit? Uh, so, uh, real quick, have to do it. Nobody else ever wants to do it, but somebody has to. Uh, so, it's some um, history for you, a reason to drink for me. It's the history of the great men that made history come to be. So, uh, we've already done the welcomes and the hellos, so let's just dive right into it. I'll ask the question, Sherry, and as always, you just run away with it and we'll bullshit the way we do. Um, so, you know. so, for anybody else who listened to the Hamilton podcast and perhaps took it from a different perspective, um, I thought Zach sounded actually surprised and perhaps bewildered uh, that uh, Eliza Hamilton uh, actually did things into her prime at age 61. You just sounded a little, little shocked. Well, the the shock, first off, it was exciting, like, that is awesome. Two, the shocking fact is that most people were just dead by that point. So, you you know, her husband died in his 40s, but that was a different story. Um, Speaking of Eliza turned out to be really, really cool. Uh, You know, I wish I would have had a little more time for her, but that Hamilton episode actually got away from me a little bit. I actually ended up being the longest episode I've had so far for a great, which... I thought it rolled okay. Uh, well, we, but- we determined that for anybody who actually exercises while listening to your podcast, that you can get anywhere between two and seven miles out of an episode. So Yes. What was it? Two-mile run, and I said I do about a seven-mile bike ride, and it's a perfect, perfect episode for that. Um, okay, so... Uh, I know that you have always come with your uh, come to the show with your own kind of like ideas and what you want to think about. But I'll ask the question and you can say what you think. But the first thing that came to mind for me was Hamilton. Uh, you know, the song goes, "He's a bastard orphan, son of a whore, and a Scotsman." Um, and, and to me, as far as psychology and development goes. That's kind of where I wanted to start. So Hamilton was orphaned at a fairly young age. I believe it's 13 or 14. The numbers always kind of differ because, as you might remember, he had two kind of accepted birth dates. Uh, and in the end, to me, one, it's, it's like two years and two, who, who gives a shit? Uh, you know, but he was orphaned at a young age, young enough that it would certainly have an impact on his, uh, you know, growth through those you know, crucial teenage years. And I can imagine how that might impact someone's development. But I'm wondering, what are your thoughts on this whole, uh, not necessarily just Hamilton, but like being orphaned at a young age? What are you thinking? So, you know, when you first mentioned that to me, I, of course, go back to my my standby. I I am a big fan of of Sigmund Freud. And Freud always believed that uh, things that happened in your childhood influenced you well into your adulthood. So I I think that was my knee-jerk reaction when you first posed that question to me. Um, The more I did my own research and listened to the podcast a couple times, um, the more I think that really what it was with Hamilton was a quality that is actually getting a lot of notoriety now that's called grit. Um, And grit is the ability to persevere despite hardship. Um, it's become a kind of a text word in psychology now because of the research of Dr. Angela Duckworth, who's at the University of Pennsylvania. But I think if you look throughout Hamilton's- Wait, two seconds. Life, uh, what was her name? Angela Duckworth. Duckworth. Okay. I lost the last name. And two, Pennsylvania. Woo. Uh, no. the, other, the other side, though. Eastern, not Western. Well, whatever. You know, as long as you're not talking sports, you can claim Pennsylvania as a whole. Uh, okay. Until you start talking sports, then it's a... So anyway, you were telling us about grit. 
So I think when, when you look at somebody who has, has lost parents or lost a mother early on, uh, there, there has to be something, some inner quality about Hamilton that allowed him to be able to get over the grief that certainly he experienced with his mom um, perishing at such an early age. And then when you look at um, what he then accomplished with his adult life, um, certainly he made some interesting choices. And I think that a lot of those go back to this idea of grit. And so, you know, a couple of the things that you you talked about in your episode, um, you know, things that are obvious, like like the duel with Burr. Um, you know, you got certain quality of somebody who who agrees to that kind of standoff. And, um, you know, by, by all the historic accounts, I mean, he was a military man, but certainly not a standout. So he had to know that he was limited at some um, point with that, or even mathematically, that he had a 50-50 chance of survival. But yeah, I don't um, really you know, care how was, good you are. In a duel, there's like all that adrenaline, that fear, you know, you know, it, it really doesn't matter if you're an excellent marksman like, marksman, like the song actually says he is. And I've never really backed that fact up, but you're kind of, it's a 50-50 shot. I don't really care how good you are. Well, and I want to do the disclaimer. Unlike Zach, I have not seen Hamilton. And the only time I've, I've actually never seen even... it, but I've, I've, that's Often. me. Yes, I'm the wall. You admitted though, and you will rue the day you admitted that you miss hearing all of my noise and crazy talk through the walls. I will, um, I will never complain again. That is, that no. is for sure. Yes, with agreeing to this duel, um, that, and, and lots of things that are in between. They, they seem to resonate that that he had this quality in him and he must have developed it pretty early on and maybe that was a way to cope with losing his mother. I mean, what, what happened after he lost his mother? Do we know anything between young Hamilton and the statesman? Yeah, so you could look at the Chernow biography and you'll see a lot more detail, but even if we just again turn to the song, uh, he ended up, I guess, living with his cousin for a while who committed suicide, uh, kind of was ruined by that as well. Uh, he kind of had to scratch his way, not to the top, but to survival. Uh, so, you know, uh, after his mother's death, things were even harder for him than they would have been as a bastard. Uh, you know, so that's kind of like seeing that grit almost right away. And, you know, Hamilton was one of the most well-read founding fathers, I'd say. Maybe not, you know, John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, sure, but Hamilton too. Uh, and he just read and read and read. And I think that's a real testament to kind of what you're, you're implying or saying with this whole grit factor is that from what I'm gathering, he just overcame on his own any obstacle that was put in his way. And, well, whether- and I think his, his, I think his skills as a reader and, and also as a prolific writer, mm-hmm. I think that in oh, itself is indicative of somebody who has this quality. Um, there are not a whole lot of people who will sit there and read prolifically. People get very bored. It's why things are written with what an eight-minute attention span for adults and for somebody to to be a prolific reader. I think they have to persevere whether or not something intrigues them or whether or not they just want to get to the end. Even those attributes of, of Hamilton um, steer him in that direction. And I think he had a bigger war- picture than we give him credit for because I can't remember if it was in Chernow or actually another historian I was listening to on a lecture uh, said something along the lines of, you know, he read and read and read and he would read all of this stuff on economics and kind of develop this sense of, wow, we need to get our economic shit, our money in order. And he sat there and read all of this stuff and had these economic ideas and no arena to cast all of this information into. And, it, you know, it wasn't until Robert Morris said, I'm not going to do this job. George, go to somebody else and I'll tell you who to go to, that Alexander Hamilton finally got a chance to use all this knowledge that he's been kind of like building up for years. And he kind of, I think, had the foresight to say, 
I could be of use economically, so I better prepare for this. And he also, he also was a maverick. I mean, he was the first person who, you know, suggested that accruing debt for our nation would actually be a positive thing for our nation. Um, he supported taxes and tariffs to support burgeoning businesses and things like that. I mean, it, it takes a lot to put yourself out there when you're the first um, to be able to say that, you know, you think that it's a hearty idea. And again, to then convince other people to also agree with your stance on that. And so I think even his his work with helping develop our, our economic system here in the United States um, and the type of things that obviously our government still does to this day, um, I think also shows that he was willing to to persevere um, and go against the grain and, and be able to throw these new ideas out there to uh, the other founding fathers. And I, I think I understand now, and I don't always, but sometimes it clicks, is why you brought up the duel first. Because that idea that there's no, almost no risk too great for Hamilton to try and steer through. Uh, kind of like, you know, there's another thing though, there's a hurricane that hits uh, in, in his childhood. And that's where he actually gets his first fame amongst his, uh, you know, residents of the island on which he lived. And it's this idea of maybe he's always willing to steer straight through the hurricane, uh, no matter how chaotic and uncertain it might be if you're going to get through or not. He didn't seem to care. Uh, it ended up costing him his life in the end. But in that life, he did a lot. Well, I think another example of his grit, though, was also his willingness to not be the front man for greatness um, in the United States. I mean, you mentioned in the podcast many times that he was, um, you know, he was the support role to Washington. Um, you know, George always wins every award on all your podcasts. Well, but you also have to look at, you know, there's the adage that behind every great man, there there is some great support for them. Most of the time, it's a woman. It is I always a woman. It is always in, in, a woman. Well, in Washington's case, though, I think you could make a case that it was Hamilton. Hamilton was willing to be the support. Um, you know, he was behind every great Washington, there's a great Hamilton. Yeah, I, I, and, I like that. Yes, but you know, but it takes a lot personally to relegate yourself to that. Um, the secondary position. You know, Washington got all the fame and greatness. Now, Hamilton got the $10 bill, good for him, but Washington got a coin and a bill. So, um, you know, I, I think that that is something that is indicative of that quality as well. And even, um, you know, even toward the end, you know, he was willing to, to write things for Washington and get no credit for it until history brought that up a little later. But uh, yeah. I think that's a good point too. Yeah. So I guess building on that then, in this whole issue of grit and being orphan at a young age, uh, he was also, quote, a, a bastard. Uh, by more than one definition of the word, uh, in all honesty, he was kind of a bastard sometimes, which I don't think makes him a piece of shit by DGMH standards, but oh well. Uh, so how is one impacted by the lack of a strong father figure? Well, um, you know, I think Hamilton, you know, you you mentioned that he was a man whore. In the, I uh, knew episode. sex was going to come up eventually. Of course. I was waiting for sex to come up. <laughs> well, but, you know, I, I think that lack of, again, we can go back to Freudian concepts of, of childhood and uh, what kind of relationship did Hamilton have with his mother? Was it a good relationship? I don't, I, I think it was pretty good, basically. Oh, she died beside him, I should say. Um you know, so I, I, I think Hamilton likely, I mean, it would be my guess that he looked to other males as to their behavior. Um, and actually, that was something I was going to bring up, too, in relation to, to the great thing as well. Um, you know, I, I think people who engage in extramarital affairs, there there's a certain bravery and a, and a certain chutzpah that goes along with it. 
it was, it still is fashion. I don't know. That was something you alluded to as well, um, that we can't make everybody a piece of shit because of extramarital affairs who are agreement and Especially historical and figures. Imagine when I cover Henry VIII. I can't, I can't <laughs> waste the time with that. Like, I mean, you know, uh, it's like he'd be a piece of shit before he even got to the scale. Mariah, was that his mistress? Mariah Reynolds, yeah. Her name was Mariah Reynolds. And, um, you know... Sherry, if you're going to listen to one Hamilton song, I would go back and listen to um, "Say No to This." Uh, it's a it's a good song. Um, and you said you said Eliza knew about the affair. Well, I don't know to what extent Eliza knew about the affair uh, until Hamilton. Literally, the you know, there's this thing called the Reynolds pamphlet. It has a much longer name, but he basically said, "In order to protect my honor and legacy as America's founding economist, as first Treasury Secretary." Uh, in order to protect my legacy, I'm going to come clean about this affair and basically say, I was extorted. I was the victim. And, you know, I didn't do anything fraudulent with money in the United States, uh, but I, di I did have an affair. Uh, and I think that, you know, that's how she found out. And in the musical, she dramatically sings this song, beautiful song called Burn, uh, and she burns all the letters that he wrote to her. But I saw a few pieces of evidence, not evidence, but secondary sources, historians saying, that maybe this was all part of a larger cover-up. Uh, I even saw names like James Monroe thrown out there, who later accused him of speculation. But you have to, you have to wonder, you know, if somebody was willing to to risk it all, and whether that was uh, to dig a scarlet letter A on them, or to be scorned by their wife, or whatever public shame might come of them. So, I mean, I, I, I think that that is something that goes back to the idea of grit, and probably from the lack of a father figure. But again, I think that people seek their own role models mm -hmm. when they're when we lack natural role models. And I mean, that was that was fashion at the time. Everybody had mistresses. And that was kind of another another question for me was, um, do you think that he projected that role of a, a father figure onto George Washington? Uh, do you think that, you know, that's why they had such a strong bond and such a strong relationship? I mean, I, I by all accounts, through all the readings I can find, I would consider them kin, friends, family, almost. Were they age mates? Were they similar age? Uh, oh, no, no, no. Uh, let's see. Hamilton died around age 47 in 1804, and George died, uh, I don't know if he was like, so they're a solid 30 years apart. So, okay. I mean, that year, that's like kind of perfect almost, 20 to 30, 40 years apart uh, to look towards as a sort of father figure. So I always kind of got that vibe that like he kind of said, you know, like Washington was kind of like his makeshift father who was never well, going to tell him no. Which would also explain his willingness his years and also maybe take a second seat to him if, if first seat opportunities were available. You know, I read an interesting document. Um, and now that I do my drunk text on um, online, uh, I might post it sometime. Uh, John Adams saying that, and I brought it up before, that Washington wasn't a, a man of education. He was a man of many talents, and that's what made him so successful. And one of the things was the loyalty that he drew out of people, uh, because he would sometimes get very angry in his cabinet meetings with Hamilton, Jefferson, Adams, everybody, and lose his temper. And nobody would ever hear about that, either out of fear of repercussion or, or really, more likely, out of a sense of some kind of unquestionable loyalty or some other reason. Nobody would ever hear about Washington's fit of rage. Maybe... Hamilton or Jefferson or Adams or Jefferson one um, silenced it. But I actually kind of took the perspective, who the hell would want their first leader to look weak in the worldview? Uh, but I do think there was some kind of undying loyalty. And I think Hamilton so certainly promoted that. Uh, well, and, I, and, I, and I think the other founding fathers understood that they were riding on Washington's coattails and they, they wanted their, their name to be known also. 
um, you know, some of the other lesser people, when you mentioned Robert Morris and Pinckney and some of the other people in, in your podcast, yeah. I mean, most people have never heard of them before. So aside of historians, but yeah. I, I think that people who understood the process, especially those that group of founding fathers understood that it was important to stay connected with Washington and whether or not that was a, a, a father-son type of substitution for Hamilton, I don't know. But I wanted to ask you, so the idea of pen name. Um, you know, I, I think that's very interesting because you mentioned that Hamilton wrote on, at least under two different names. Right. The Federalist Papers, Madison, Hamilton, and John Jay all wrote under the pseudonym or pen name uh, Publius. Um, and then he did, I found out, yeah, in another letter questioning slavery uh, when he shouldn't have been questioning slavery uh, in the sense that he wasn't really he would have been going against the decision of Washington to question slavery. Of course, he should have been questioning slavery. Slavery fucking sucked. But he shouldn't have been doing that. He was overstepping. He wrote under the pen name Civis. At least they think it was him. It sounds like Hamilton when it's written. Uh, and and so who, who was the person of the founding fathers who like started the pen name business? Was it, was it Franklin? Was it, was I, it I don't Hamilton? Know because I know that, and oh, I love when I can bust out some national treasure knowledge as a source. But there's that whole, um, oh, Benjamin Franklin wrote uh, the Silence Do Good letters. Um, I've never really looked at those, but I'm assuming they're true uh, because they were supposed to be filmed in the, in the movie. If they're not, I'm going to sound like an idiot, so I'll probably check before I include this in the show. Um, I don't know when pen names really came into fashion, but in the revolution, I think pen names were a way to save your own hide. Uh, that is to say... You can't put Hamilton's name on something because you don't. You want to be able to get out of this in the end if you can. Maybe. Um, so was that what his? Was that what Hamilton's father was trying to do by being absent from his life? Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. Did, did I, he know? Did he know that Hamilton? So Hamilton. Did he know that he had a kid? Yes, and um, you know, you can look up Hamilton's Scottish coat of arms. Uh, you know, the family was there, but then there was a, another thing when they say he was the son of a whore and a Scotsman. Well, the, his mother. We don't know exactly which guy was Hamilton's father, I guess, in the end. So the problem becomes, that's why the whole whore comment comes up in the songs. Um, so I, I just wondered if the pen name had some kind of connection with not oh, wanting the father to Ham know. Oh, Hamilton's pen names? Yeah, I was uh, just thinking about different theories. The that founding fathers, uh, but these are like all tied to like Roman names. But yeah, I mean, those are both, you know, Roman Empire style names, Civis and and Publius, and I, I, I honestly don't know more than that, but that's an awesome question. I know why Samuel Seabury chose his pen name, uh, A.W. Farmer, was to be the farmer from Westchester uh, to kind of take take the role. Uh, John Dickinson also wrote uh, under a, uh, a pen name as well. Uh, when he wrote letters from a Pennsylvania farmer, he wasn't a Pennsylvania farmer. Uh, so, you know, they would write from this perspective, kind of, not Publius, obviously, I mean, sitting here saying, I'm a Roman emperor, that's going to help you. Uh, but they would write from these perspectives to try and sway common folk. Um, well, did, did, did Hamilton readily embrace the Scottish part of him and, and the fatherless part of him, or was it ignored? Do you know anything about I, that? I, I don't know that, uh, I don't know to what degree he accepted the, the nature of not having a father. I don't know that he necessarily ever, like, claimed to be of Scottish descent. Uh, typically, he was he was always referenced as an immigrant uh, because he came from the Caribbean. Uh, you know, whether it's in the musical or whatever, he is. Uh, you know, sometimes they debate whether this there's a clause in the Constitution that says anybody born or naturalized a citizen at the time of the ratification of the Constitution of the United States can be president of the United States. So that was always kind of questioned. Was that put in just to make it so Hamilton could run for president someday? 
quite possibly because Hamilton was one of the puppet masters of the, the Constitution of the United States of America. So it's, it's an interesting question. Um, but any final thoughts you wanted to share, Sherry? No, I will just say as somebody who is not a Hamilton aficionado like you are, I mean, I thought it was really interesting to learn all these bits and pieces about him. But I think, I think the part that really just stood out to me the most during it and a little bit of research I did on him was this, um, this idea of what kind of people are to take that back seat. I mean, certainly Hamilton had no idea that uh, uh, he was going to become a musical and, and a really popular one at that. And uh, you even mentioned in the podcast that, um, you know, he was relatively obscure mm-hmm. um, until For a long the musical, time. Yeah, until the musical came out. But um, I really think that um, part of the greatness scale with Hamilton, you have to give a nod to his willingness to simply support Washington. And whether or not he Washington as a father figure, um, he certainly understood the importance of Washington and the history of what has been our country for these 200 plus years. Um, and so I think when you look at that idea of grit, you know, you can you can look at a lot of different parts of his professional life, his personal life. Um, but it, it takes somebody extraordinary, I think, to be the person who is known to historians secondarily. Um, and I and I think it's a great thing to to bring him up as as an example in these podcasts. Um, because people might have passed him over as a great man of history. Great men of history are, are the first to do things. Yeah. And, um, and Hamilton well, was a first, but, but not as great of a first as somebody like, like Washington was, mm-hmm. or even Columbus, who I hate. But no, he, I guess, kind of was a first. Yeah, you're, Hamilton knew that he had the brain power and he had the idea power um, to be able to support this man who really took the presidency reluctantly um, and uh, and really was a steadfast supporter. But as you said in social drinking, he still took it. Uh, yes. He didn't have to, but he took it. <laughs> yes. So I and I think that's it. So I think for him, you know, if I had to pick the one quality of Hamilton, I would go with this idea of grit. And I think there are lots of different facets of his life that point to this this idea that he was uh, willing to persevere and had something within him to persevere. Um, even when the chips were down, when he wasn't supposed to, when he had to take a back seat, when it wasn't popular. Um, and so that's why I think he's worthy of being one of your great men in history. And I agree. He's definitely worthy of being one of the greats. I don't you know, in the scale, he doesn't exactly fall super high. But I think that from a historical perspective, and we've talked about this before, it's kind of psychological too. I think that Hamilton was one of those people who was more than willing to put the nation above the man. Uh, And I think that's why our country has survived the way it has. Not necessarily right now, not trying to make a political statement. I'm saying in the the founding days, I think that that's why our our nation was able to survive because people like Hamilton. Uh, Don't get me wrong, that greater good mentality came at a greater cost for many. Um, But awesome. Uh, Very cool. Well, um, before we do our shots, uh, I do want to say, as a quick reminder, Drinks with Great Men in History can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and just about anywhere you listen to your favorite shows. Make sure to join my Facebook group at Drinks with Great Men in History and follow me on Instagram at DGMH underscore History Podcast to see the recording process unfold. Feel free to email me any questions you have. Uh, or let me know in the comments on any of my social media platforms. DGMH will return Friday with our next Chaser episode on the Unfinished Revolution that I have referenced several times now across several episodes. To find out how I will cover this, you'll have to tune in on Friday. And don't forget to listen next Tuesday as Luke Franchuk returns to determine who is greater, Alexander Hamilton or George Washington, as we are joined by my high school history teacher, Cullen Farrell. Uh, If you enjoy the show and want to support the show, feel free to visit my Patreon link. You can find that in the show notes. And be sure to leave us a good, hopefully, five-star review on Apple Podcasts.
So Sherry, uh, what are you doing a shot of tonight? All right, so in honor of the Risky Rebellion, I have a bottle of Jack Daniels uh, that has been sitting in my house, and I am just reading that uh, the Jack Daniels Distillery is on the National Register of Historic Places. Who knew? At uh, Jack Daniels number seven brand, Tennessee whiskey. Oh, well, it's empty. It doesn't make, I'm going to have to add pop. the sound effect in. Boom. Mine is a twist top, so... Uh, so tonight I am actually uh, going to do a shot of something I've done a shot of many times in the first Chaser episode, in the first Shots episode, and uh, you know I've never rated it, but I will at some point. It's Kanichi Rum, uh, the Reserve Blend, distilled in Barbados, uh, bottled in Fra uh, France. Uh, so you know it's a unique blend. Uh, that's why I chose it for the Colombian Exchange. Uh, but more importantly, I'm doing rum because Caribbean can't go wrong. Uh, and it's my favorite, well, my favorite is actually the Reserve Blend, or the, the Super Special Blend, but it's like double the price, so I didn't buy that. Um, did you finish the bottle? Huh? Did you finish the bottle right I now? I did finish the bottle, and in fact, um, I'm doing like a wimpy shot. Uh, this is embarrassing. Uh, oh, that is embarrassing. It's, it's an embarrassing, I've been cutting that out. Oh, my, my, my 80 proof is better than your 80 proof. Yes, it, it is. My shot is impotent. Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> which clearly Sorry. Hamilton was not. So. My, dr my drinking is getting a little Freudian on me. <laughs> um, but, you know, speaking of oral fixations, let's do this shot. Uh, so um, that brings the show to a close. And honestly, I want to give uh, my parents a hug after all this orphan talk and tell them thank you for doing the best job they could. I might be a little fucked up, but I'm okay. Uh, tonight, let's raise a glass uh, to our bastard orphan son of a whore and a Scotsman who managed to overcome every obstacle possible to achieve at least mild greatness. Kudos and raise a glass to grit. Woo. There you Here. go. Oh, that is so much better than vodka. Woo ah, thank God. How was that whiskey, Sherry? Very nice, very nice. Went down smooth. Good. Well, uh, cheers.